I want to thank you for joining us today on Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. Today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called The Power of Worship from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, as evangelicals, you know, we, we love God's Word. We believe God's Word. We believe it's inspired. We believe it's without error. However, in our love for God's Word, we would, and first of all, we would say, we hate idols. Like, idols? I would never have an idol in my house. Little Buddha? I would never put that in my house. Get that thing out of here, kids. I don't care if that you won that as a prize. Get that idol out of here. We don't have idols in our house. We would say that, but the question is, what are the evangelical idols that we hold to? In reality, we might say we just have different idols. We just have different idols that hinder our worship to God nonetheless and probably hinder our worship to God a lot more than a little Buddha on your stand. I'm not suggesting you go out and buy a little Buddha and put it in there. I'm not saying that or some other you know, idol that you can create. What I am saying is um, we need to look into our own lives, and this is where the study of God's word is going to get into our lives the idols we keep in the shadowy corners of our so-called sanctified hearts, and yet wonder sometimes why our lives have so little power. Here's the first one on the list. Spiritually based intellectual elitism. I'm going to tell you something. Bible churches are sometimes the worst offenders here. I, I love that we have Bible in our name. We are Harvest Bible Chapel. Why? Because we love God's word. And yet, if even a good thing like that, if taken the wrong way and taken to an extreme, can become an idol. I want people to think of me as cool. You know, here's how it works, right? You go to small group, and uh, you're studying the book of Ruth, let's say. And uh, you, you just, you love God's word. And you get in, you study the context of Moab. And like, this is what was going on. And wow, I just found this really cool thing. It was like a 15, you know, so such trip. And they probably passed this on the side. And they would have seen that little hill over there. And like, I mean, it's like amazing. And your small group's like, wow, this person's got it. Well, then you go home the next day and you're like, man, my, my, my small group was pretty impressed with that. I should, I should do that again. So I, so I go home, and the next, next week we're studying Judges, or we're going to 1 Samuel, or wherever we're going next. And I'm going to study the context of that. And then I come, and, and people are impressed again. And then my study of God's Word gets more and more intellectual, but divorced from application of what that text is saying. God's Word is written to change us, not to inflate us. Then suddenly or slowly, our study of God's word becomes more about amassing biblical knowledge than experiencing biblical transformation. What's the result? What's the result of this idol? The result is Bible fatheads without substantive fruit. Jesus said you'll, um, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. He didn't say by this is my father glorified that you be a fathead. You know, the famous French philosopher, René Descartes, said the famous thing, I think, therefore I am. But you know, many Christians could say, um, I think, therefore I am holy. Or better yet, I know, therefore I am holy. No. There's a lot more that comes into play. Yet their knowledge, we might say that, yet our knowledge does not lead us to personal sanctification or mutual edification. Misapplied theological knowledge reveals my ignorance. 
misapplied theological knowledge reveals my ignorance seen in reckless freedom and arrogance. See, God's word is meant to give freedom, but when people use freedom the wrong way, as we see in our own nation, even free people can be in great bondage. My freedom, if turned on its head, can be my worst enemy. Let me summarize it this way. Knowledge that puffs up but does not build up blows up. Whether it's in my church or my family or my marriage or my small group or at work, wherever it is, if I'm all about my head knowledge of God's word, but I don't have a practical application of it and I'm doing it from an arrogant, proud, elitist attitude. Now tell me, tell me here, think about it this way. How many Christians, this just tears me up. Do you see, let's say the issue is um, gay marriage or let's say the issue of uh, some other issue comes up and Christians will get on their thing and scream and just all over people but you don't know what God's word says. And they don't do it in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. And I'm telling you, do I believe what God's word says? Absolutely I do. But I also believe there's an approach that must come through. If it doesn't come through with humility and gentleness, as Peter said, you're no different than the other people. You're just screaming with a different angle on it. That doesn't reflect what the Holy Spirit should be doing in our lives. Boldness, but not obnoxiousness. To know God and his word is awesome. And the greatest privilege a human can have on earth. But that knowledge must lead to personal humility and grace. And ultimately transformation by the power of the Spirit. I want to tell you something. When you fully embrace the gospel and you understand what God's word says, you don't get inflated. You get on your face. And the thing that I'm praying more, and this happened to me yesterday in my own study of God's word, was reading a book. It was talking about this. And God had me on my face. He pointed out some things in my life that were inconsistent with what God was trying to do in my life. And I was on my knees. Well, how can we help build up others in love? That's the goal. Paul says, but love builds up. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You might be saying there, well, how can I build up others, Luke? I want to do that. Notice verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. I'm going to tell you that edifying love within the context of a church family begins with my relationship with God, my love for him. I can't effectively minister to you if I'm not loving God. I can't effectively serve you and build you up if I don't first begin with a relationship with God. Otherwise, I'm just ministering in the flesh. Most importantly, I cannot love others if I do not love God. People that you might see in your block, and they're like, well, that's just a nice couple, but they don't know Jesus. I'm telling you, they may love, they're loving the best they can. They're loving their kids the best they can, but they will never experience the genuine God-made love until they love God first. That soul-satisfying, sacrificial, you-before-me love begins with a love for God. Our love is based on what we've seen in Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. There's no greater love. You know, one thing I would point out to anybody, we had a couple at our house on Friday night uh, that's going to be getting married in June. You know, the thing that I want to impress upon their hearts, we got to hear their testimonies, you can't begin to love a person for a lifetime unless you have a great love for Jesus Christ himself. Because there will come a time where your love for that other person isn't as exciting as it used to be. 
It's not that to say that marriage is a dump. I mean, why didn't everybody just date for the rest of their lives? Well, there's a reason, because there's a satisfying love, and, and really, as love matures, it becomes much greater. But there's seasons in there, am I not speaking the truth here, where it's not all perfect, okay? But it's love that has to develop. And, but the thing is, if it's not grounded, if my love for my spouse is not grounded in my love for Jesus Christ, a lot of people end up in the ditch at that point. And um, that's no different for me than it is for you. And if you're a young couple here, or you're thinking about getting married, I would challenge you, get your relationship with the Lord on fire before you're excited about getting your marriage on fire. Then out of my love for God, um, I'm able to minister to fellow believers. Or you might say, well, how, Luke? Give me some practical application of that. I want to, but how do I do it? I want to love them. I want to build them up. Well, get this. You do it with mature, love-motivated knowledge from God's word. Isn't that sweet? If I love you, I will be motivated to help you in any way I can. And the best thing I can do to help any believer is to give them truth from God's word. It doesn't matter whatever circumstance you're dealing with, whether it's a practical need or a spiritual need, that comes out of my knowledge for God's word. If that means we're putting a new roof on somebody's house, we do it because God tells us to love a brother. And if it means I need to help him get their minds around a particular challenge they're facing, well, let's get back to God's word. And that's where knowledge comes in. But it's knowledge that's motivated by love. When love rolls up its sleeves in biblical knowledge, awesome things happen. When love rolls up its sleeves in biblical knowledge, awesome things happen. Now, some of you remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I showed a picture of uh, our whiteboard at church that uh, somebody left a permanent message on. Do we have a picture of that? Yeah, see? That was great. It was a great message that they left there. The person actually came up and told me later, I was the one that did it. Sorry. I'm like, hey, no worries. No worries. Well, the funny thing is, you all are so helpful. Like, at least five people have come up to me and said, hey, do you know how you get permanent markers off the board? Like, do you know how you do that? What you do is you, you take another erasable marker and you just go over it and it all comes off. Well, the funny thing was, in fact, somebody even was really nice and bought me some special stuff to get it off. Well, the funny thing was that afternoon we had student ministry and before I even got to church, someone had gone in there and wiped it off. And I was like, you can't do that. Like everybody's gonna think I made that story up. You know, that's not gonna work. But you know, the amazing thing about that, I loved how people, is that no one came up to me and said, hey, Pastor Luke, you know what? I'm the permanent marker racing specialist. Let me tell you something. I know exactly how to do that. I do that for a career, man. That's what I do. I'm totally all about that. Let me handle that. In fact, if you want me to get up in front of church, I can tell everybody how to do it in case that happens at home. Like, I want everybody to know that I, okay? No one did that. They just came up and said, hey, I just want to help. I just want to help. Um, that is the spirit that needs to happen in a church where what we know is for the purpose of helping and benefiting and edifying and building up, not for raising my stature. There weren't five people waiting to get up front. That's the spirit of what's being talked about here. The same is true in a loving church family. Love plus knowledge equals edification where the motivation is not to prop me up, but to build you up. Let me give you an example of how you might do this. You might know somebody that's struggling with 
a particular sin, and they just seem to keep getting stuck in that same sin, and I can't seem to stop. I need help. Well, if you love them and you know God's word, you would take them to Romans chapter 6 and say, hey, let's study, let's, let's study what Romans chapter 6 says about sin and the theology behind it and how you can get freedom. Or maybe you know somebody that's going through a trial and they're just really hurt and downcast and you say, hey, let me encourage you. Let's go to James chapter 1. A scripture says we're all going to get trials from time to time, but those that persevere come out perfected. Let me encourage you in that. Let me pray for you in that. Or maybe someone's struggling that you know with bitterness and you take them to Matthew chapter 18 and say, hey, you can't stay there. If you stay there forever, bitterness is going to get more out of you than you're going to get out of that person. Theological knowledge combined with biblical love will result in substantive edification. Genuine love starts with God, but it ends up building up others. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church. You know, as a result of listening to Meeting with God Daily, I hope that your passion for Jesus Christ is growing in such a way that you're learning to share your faith with others. You know, that's something that our church is committed to, equipping men and women to share the good news of Jesus through personal witness and church outreach. And if you don't have a church here in Columbus, Ohio, we'd love to have you join us this weekend. Go to verticalchurch.life. Yeah, Pastor, you keep talking about all this theological knowledge. That word theology sort of scares me a little bit, you know? I don't like reading 900-page theology books. That doesn't fire me up. I, I have a hard time staying awake for that. Why do you keep using the word theology? Why can't, can we just talk about the Bible? My theological knowledge is central to my personal worship. You know, I'm turning off the point of others now and how our understanding of God's word affects our relationship horizontally, but now we're going to the vertical. Now, we're going to be back to the horizontal next week, but I'm going to tell you everything in ministry horizontally begins vertically. It doesn't go the other way around. We don't go, oh, I come to church because I'm going to get help, and if I have a chance, I'm going to worship God. It's the other way around. I come to worship God, and out of God is truth, and my worship of him, my life is impacted, and I'm impacting others. I want you to see something very important. I love this text. This is just amazing. Verse 4 says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. Now we're back on the topic here. Paul's given a few principles for a couple of verses. Now he's back on topic. And we're going to be on topic of meat and idols. And notice that it says, we know. We know. They had correct knowledge. The problem wasn't that the Corinthians were all confused in their theology. Their theology was good. The problem was their application of theology. Now notice there the we. We. And I want you to think about this for a second. Focus on you for a moment. I don't want you to worry about what everybody else knows, but I want you to think about your understanding of who God is. He says, we know that idols have no real existence. Uh, think of all the people you know who knock on wood every time something happens. Think of the, the who run everything by luck as though there's some randomness in the universe that try to, is, is, they're hoping will work. Hey, got to get a rabbit's foot and get that thing over here. Ah, oh, a black cat. And okay, a lot of people are confused about that stuff. God's not confused. God's in control of everything. God's not worried about that, but I want you to focus on yourself for a minute. Let me ask you for a second, what do you know about God? 
I'm not saying what does your small group leader know. I'm not saying what does your pastor know. I'm saying what do you know about God? If you were to open God's word with someone else, would you even be able to direct them to the nature of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God that comes out of the text? Notice what it says in verse 5. Paul says, uh, there's no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, it's very interesting what Paul does here when he's addressing these idols. Uh, Paul says, hey, I'm not going to call those idols dumb. There's a place for that. But let's have a direct contrast with the living God. Notice what it says in verse 6. He says, so-called gods, many gods, many lords. Then in verse 6 he says, yet for us... There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are all things and through whom we exist. I love what Paul does here because he does two things at the same time in an amazing way. On the one hand, he addresses idolatry. and He says, yeah, there's many lords and many gods, but for us... There is one God. Okay, so let's, let's do it right here, okay? No more talking. There's these, you know, many gods, many lords, and here's the creator of the universe, back to back, head to head. Let's go at it, which is an amazing thing. If you're going to deal with your idolatry, just calling idols dumb does not always help. One of the best things you can do is put your idol back to back with the living God, and let's see how that matches up. But the really cool thing that I love in this that at the same time Paul's addressing idolatry and the whole concept, and he's wading through that, he brings an awesome statement about the Godhead. Notice what's happening here. First, we're getting uh, who is God? Who is the Father? That's called theology. For those of you who heard like the, the, the term theology, I don't like that. It sounds stuffy. It sounds like something they would do in seminary. Well, theology is theos, God, the Greek word for God, our God, Ology, the study of. It's a study of God. It's awesome. Then, second of all, notice that it clearly in this passage reveals Christ is Lord. It's Christology, the study of Christ. Now, at first sight, notice what it says here. Some of this, this kind of caught my eye. First it says, um, there is one God, the Father. Then it says, one Lord. Now, at first you're thinking, well, is he sort of downgrading Jesus? He's like, God's, you know, the Father's God, but Jesus is just the Lord. Like, I was like, oh, wait, that's sort of messing with my theology. I mean, I thought we solved this a long time ago. Well, it might look like that, but I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. This is just so cool. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17, in the middle of uh, Moses giving the law, he says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Now, what Paul's doing is, is taking this and proving, basically explaining the Trinity. He's taking it and saying, God, Lord, equal. They're both God. And I'm giving you an angle on it, while at the same time comparing it to all the lords and gods that we might come up with somewhere else. He's, he's teaching awesome theology about who God is. This is the language reveals the divinity of Christ. Then a couple more things that are going on here. We see part of the functional relationship within the Trinity. Two other things. 
Notice first here in verse 6, it says, Yet for us there is one God the Father, from whom are all things. God the Father is the source of creation. However, look down at a little bit farther down. It says, In one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. Through versus from. The source is God the Father. Creation was God's the Father's idea. Jesus Christ was the mediator of it. He was the one that did the work and made it happen. Then second of all, we see the new creation, salvation, redemption. Look at what it says about Jesus at the end. It says, and through whom we exist. That's a comment about salvation. We don't exist as believers on our own power. We, we exist as believers because we have the Holy Spirit and Christ is in us through the work of the Holy Spirit and because of the work of Jesus Christ. But once again, they're working together. Notice about halfway through the verse where it says, from whom are all things, talking about God the Father, and for whom we exist. When we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, we don't do it away from God the Father. Now, we're about Jesus. Like He's the one that brought redemption. The whole purpose is to come full circle. We exist as believers for God the Father. In him are all things. Some of you are like, where's the Holy Spirit, man? If supposed, this is supposed to be the Trinity, right? Um, Paul has like three chapters on the Holy Spirit coming up. Just be patient. Keep your seatbelt on. All right, we're coming back to that. But I love this verse because what it does so much in Corinthians is about this dude's mess and how to mop that up and how we need to act like this and, oh, he's got that idol over there. We got to work on that. Listen, all of that, all of that is settled when my heart worships the God of the universe. Like, no sin is beyond the reach of God. But the problem is that my focus is usually off God trying to solve problems. When my focus is on the Lord, when it's in worship, the other chips will start to fall where they need to and get settled where they need to. And I want to draw us as a church family to focus on God. Like, have you reveled in that? Have you let yourself experience the awe of worship? I don't think we do that very often. I don't think we usually just sit and meditate. Usually we're like, okay, well, what's this pastor telling me to do? What the pastor is telling you to do is to worship. Worship. I want to give you two quick application points. First is, don't uh, hang on to or hide your idols. We're going to be talking more about idols in the weeks to come. Don't sweep them in the corners. Don't try to, oh, I'll deal with that someday. Put it out in the garage. We'll get it cleaned out someday. I want to encourage you as we go through this series, put your idols head-to-head with the living God. It's amazing how much different our idols are when they're head-to-head with the God of the universe. It's amazing when our worship and our eyes are focused on him, how much differently we look at the challenges and the sin in our own lives. Put them head-to-head with God. God will win all the time. Second of all, we'll also see how worthless our idols are in light of the living God. Here's the other quick thing I want to ask you to do. Hear this. Theology is not a distraction from worship. It is the very foundation and accelerant of worship. I want to encourage you, some of you just need to meditate on verse 6 for a couple days and meditate on who is God. What has he done? Think about the fact that in Christ, we exist as believers. Without his work, we wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't be here to talk about anything. When I meditate on the futility of my idols and on the majesty of God, 
Well, see, that's where worship is. I'm led to doxology. I'm led to bring glory to living God. I love how Paul says this in Romans 11. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Here's the last question. Does my biblical knowledge empower my God-centered worship and build up other believers? We've been talking about knowledge. Does my knowledge of God's word build up others? Does it draw me to my knees before the living God? Or is it just inflating my sense of knowledge? Does my study of the text and my knowledge of God's word cause me to fall on my knees in worship? Does it call me and compel me to build up other believers in genuine love? That's the question for us today. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio, located at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Meeting with God is a listener-supported ministry which strives to share the good news of Jesus Christ each day. Our prayer is that this radio program will lift people's eyes and hearts to our Savior, Jesus. If you would like to be a part of the Meeting with God team of financial donors who make this ministry possible, please visit our website, verticalchurch.life. We are thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And as always, we hope to meet you back here at the very same time tomorrow for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.